together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you tonight. We're thankful to be back in your house this evening and to worship you. Father, I pray, Lord, that every note that is played, every song that is sung, Lord, would bring it be a product that would be pleasing unto you. I pray this evening, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, those that are not here tonight, Lord, there are some that are sick in this body. I pray, God, that you would help them to feel better this evening. And Lord, we just thank you for the presence of God we felt in this place this morning. In Christ's name we pray and ask that the people of God together said, Amen. Amen. This time we're going to ask you to meet and greet each other, and then we'll come back for our worship. God bless you. Make your way back this evening. Let's remain standing this evening for worship. We're going to sing an old praise chorus that just says, I am blessed. I am blessed every day that I live. I am blessed when I wake up in the morning till I lay my head to rest. I am blessed. I am blessed. We're going to sing that chorus tonight. Let's sing together.
Are you blessed this evening? Let's worship the Lord.
them. Let's sing this chorus together if you don't mind. Well, now through it all. Let's sing through. 
Let's lift in our voices. Let's just sing. Father, Lord, we come before you tonight. We thank you for the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guards our hearts. Father, as we get ready to segue into the message tonight, God, I pray that you would open our eyes, hearts, and ears to hear from the throne room of heaven. Lord, we thank you for the presence of God we felt in the house this morning. Lord, we are looking for no doubt for you to be in our midst tonight. We will be eternally grateful to you. 
Jesus Christ our Lord, the people of God together said amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this evening. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the gospel, to the writings of the psalmist in Psalms chapter 30. We're going to read just two verses of scripture there tonight. Psalms chapter number 30. We're going to be dropped down to verse 11 and verse number 12. Psalm chapter 30 verse 11 and 12 there on your Bible. They will also be on your screen this evening uh, for you to follow along with us this evening. Let me say, don't forget our, our mission or our vision, if you will, for 2023 and 2024, uh, 2022, 2023, I'm sorry, I got that backwards, church here. Uh, where we are going to be seeking the Lord on one family, one person, one person, one family, one community at a time. Don't forget that. Also, um, don't forget we're still in a series morning and night on the idea of God's assignments, what he has for us to do as the people of God. Uh, we have a lot of sick folk today. Uh, I want to just make mention of a couple requests that you to be aware of. Um, obviously, Miss Jennifer is, is still battling some sickness. Um, Miss Jeannie is battling some sickness, but this afternoon, uh, right before uh, church was starting, uh, I got a text message uh, from Miss Lila Faye uh, Gamblin. She had to slip out uh, shortly, right after, um, right before the altar call. I'm sorry, uh, started today and uh, had to slip out because um, Mr. W wasn't feeling his best today. But she wanted to go home and check on him, and he uh, still not feeling too terribly good. And, uh, and so she has went uh, now, and uh, around 5.45 or so, uh, she took him to um, Roper Berkeley up here just to have some tests done, just to see if what's going on. Um, we don't have a report as of this moment. She said she would let me know uh, as soon as she uh, he got called back. And they kind of thought she's praying, praying that it's not COVID, but she's not sure. She says he's just not feeling like himself today. And so she specifically said, will you please let everybody know um, that, you know, he is not feeling well and, and, um, and to have them pray. And I said I would. Um, and so make sure that uh, as we get ready to pray here in a moment that we remember him. I don't know all the details. I don't know what they're going to find. In fact, that, you know, I'm praying that they say, you know, he's just dehydrated or something like that. And he'll get to go home. But. She is very concerned uh, for him. Uh, he, uh, he's been battling some sickness himself um, uh, with some health issues. He has to go to the doctor with some uh, precancerous type stuff. And so he's already got some health challenges. And so she's obviously concerned for his well-being. So we want to make sure that we remember that together here in just a moment. Psalms 30, verse 11. If you can, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word tonight. just going to read two verses of scripture here, verse 11 and verse 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Think about that. 
He said, you took the times that I cried, you turned them into joyous occasions. You took all my down and dirty days, if you will, and you gave me hope and gladness. And all that I have left, I'll sing praises to you and not be silent. And I'll give you thanks for forever. I started, we started a, uh, the series of assignments last Sunday. I started an idea of why, why pray? Why? Well, the psalmist kind of gives us some inclination. Because when we pray, he turns sorrow, mourning into dancing, sorrow into joy, and then we can give him thanks. You know, there's various types of prayers through the Bible. There's not, every prayer is not a now I lay me down to sleep, Lord, give me what I want kind of prayers. Some of them are prayers of thanksgiving, supplication, adoration. I mean, there are various types of prayers. In fact, when, you, when you're singing praise and worship and you sing stuff, that we sing here that are right out of scripture. Some of these songs like I'll bless the Lord and all these that are right out of patience. You're singing prayers unto God. I will bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me will bless his holy name. That is a psalm of prayer. That's a psalm of praise, if you will. It is a prayer unto God or a praise offering unto God. So we're going to continue today. Seriously, why pray? And obviously we want to remember these requests that have been brought before us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, you know the needs that are in this house tonight. Father, you know the sickness, you know, uh, Lord, Sister Jennifer, and you know, uh, Lord, also Sister uh, Lila Faye and Brother W, where they are, and also Sister Jeannie. Father, you know that there's some in the hospital, or getting checked out of the hospital, like Brother W today. We don't know what's going on, but we know you can take care of it. God, I'm asking that you will go right there to Roper Berkeley, and you'll just touch him, and you'll give him, God, a virtuous visit from the heavenly physician, and help him to feel better help them get the right antibiotics needed to get him over this hump God that he is battling right now Father I pray that you would be with Lord us tonight God I pray that you would be with us Lord there are some of us that are here tonight Lord no doubt with heaviness of hearts and so Lord I pray today that you would speak to our hearts tonight as well Lord continue to be with Sister Mary Weaver who is battling herself God cancer and, and, and things in her body but God I know you're a healer even in that situation we heard her testimony today of how you took care of the colon already. And God, we believe you're going to do the same for the liver. God, we're believing that. And Lord, as we, we, as we talk tonight more about why should we pray, why should we seek God, Lord, I pray you would help us to see that prayer is an essential aspect of our daily Christian walk and living. And to you, we will forever give you the praise, the glory, and honor. Help us to be not only hearers, but doers of this word. In Christ's name we pray. And the body of Christ together said amen. Amen. You may be seated presence of the Lord. Seriously, why pray? I shared with you last week out of Psalms chapter 13, which is the main theme scripture, if you will, of this message or the context of this message. I tell you it was written by David during a time where he was seeking answers from the Lord. Some attribute this psalm to a time he was running from Saul, his intense persecution from Saul. We talked about how David had seen just about everything you could think of and it comes to life. He'd lived in the palace. He'd lived out as a shepherd. He had done it all. And yet he is now running for his life. We talked about how sometimes we feel like God's a million miles away. And that sometimes when we pray it seems like God is so far out there and somewhere else in space that there's no way our prayer will ever reach him. It just is never going to get there. And sometimes God and us are like best friends forever. You know, sometimes you almost don't even have to worry about, you know, when I say worry about praying, I mean, you wake up in the morning, joy in your heart, a praise on your lips. You and God are just having a great day. Sister Ann was telling me the other day, 
uh, the other week that one morning she got up and was walking the dog out and she was just praying. The birds started singing and she and God were just like, wow, God, that was great. And they're just having them a wonderful time walking around the, the yard and around the, the uh, cul-de-sac there and the, and the, and the, uh, and the uh, trail that she has there around her house. And she's hearing birds singing and she just felt like her and God were having a moment. And then there are some days we feel like God ain't even paying attention to us anymore. We're out there praying, we're out there, God, are you even listening? And we don't hear birds chirping, we don't hear crickets, we hear more like crickets chirping, not birds chirping, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and more often than not, the waiting keeps seeming to draw out and linger longer than we expect it to, and sometimes our spiritual journey, we're on these spiritual mountains, and it seems like everything we touch is like King Midas, it turns to gold, I mean, we can't everything we do we touch it and it's like it's blessed and we sing it around here sometimes it's your season to be blessed and the, and the verse of that song says I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the field I'm blessed going out I'm blessed coming in he'll open the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing it's our season to be blessed you know I thought about one Sunday that I should really make the set list really confusing I should start out singing it's your season to be blessed and sing you know I'm blessed in the city and field and then I should sing He's the God on the mountain, but he's the God in the valley. God just killed that blessing right then. I'm in the valley now. Or sing through it all right behind it. I'm blessed in this city. I've had lots of heartaches and troubles and trials in my little lifestand, you know. And, 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 and do that kind of thing. But sometimes it is that quick. Sometimes it seems like on Monday it's a mountain. But by one phone call, one email, one text message, one job pink slip, one something of another, I go from the top to the bottom in an instant just like that that's what prayer does prayer allows us to in that moment of free falling to realize we're not going to suffer harm because someone is guiding that footstep prayer is our undergirth it is our if you will our parachute of life when even when it seems God's a million miles away as I said this morning even when sometimes it's like that we have an advocate we have the Holy Spirit that when we don't even sometimes we'll just lay in bed at night with tears staining our pillows and go I don't even know what to say anymore God I told you everything I know I've prayed every scripture I know I've looked up every scripture I know I've googled every scripture I know about this or depression or anxiety or frustration or anger or whatever I've looked up at all God and I and sometimes you know sometimes we just get up for a loss of words we don't know what else to say we don't have nothing to say but God never runs out of words Jesus like I said this morning he never looks to God or God never looks to us and goes I don't have any more data available I don't know what else to say I've never seen in scripture where God says yeah I don't even know how to do this either <laughs> never never now sometimes God's answers may not be my answer now, sometimes I want God to say yes and he says no sometimes I want God to say no and he says yes Sometimes I don't know if I want God to say yes or no, and then God says, well, maybe and wait. And I'm like, that wasn't even on the table, the options on the table. See, sometimes it don't go the way, but that's why the Bible says his ways are not my ways, and neither is his thoughts my thoughts. I can't explain God all the way to the vast knowledge that you can, because God is, is incomprehensible. But I can tell you that even though I can't completely understand him, when I can't see his hand, and when I can't see, I can always trust his heart. Because the heart of God says that he is going to love his children if if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more so does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to his children? So even when I don't see it, I can know that I can trust the heart of God. Now sometimes that's hard. Sometimes when all hell's breaking loose, I don't feel like trusting God because I need something I can see. 
writer of Hebrews says, but that's not what faith is. Faith is not about what I see. Faith is the substance of things that I hope for and evidence of things that I don't see. See, faith says that I'm standing in this moment and I look off into the distance and I see nothing. But I know there's something on the horizon and though I can't explain it right now, there's something over there. There's, so, there's something out there. There is something coming my way. I don't know when, don't know where, don't know if it'll be around the next bend, it'll be over that mountain. I don't know. I've told you guys many times this story to a certain degree uh, of this. But uh, uh, Brianna and her family like to camp. So not too long ago, two years ago, we went camping and I told you about my horrific back problem experience I had with the rocky mat that nobody told me you're supposed to blow up. And they let me, left me there to die. And then they wanted to know, they said, oh, we should go camping this year. You know what I said? Have fun. They said, are you not going? I said, do you remember the last trip? Y'all tried to kill me. I'm not doing, I'm not signing up for this the second time to kill me. The first time failed. The second time, we ain't going to try again. First time, shame on you. The second time, shame on me. I don't know, shame on me. First, second time, y'all ain't doing that. I'm not playing that game. But we went to this mountain. And I've been mountain with mountains, you know, when I was in South Africa on a missions trips and preached over there and things like that. There was a place called God's Window and you had to walk up the mountain to get to it and all these different things. But one of the things I'm amazed about a mountain is, man, you're struggling. Like you're, it's an incline and you're getting up there and you're like, my God, just how long before we get to the top of this thing? And you keep seeing these little stakes in the ground with little white spray paint or whatever to let you know you're on the trail. But they never say three quarters of a mile. They never tell you how far you got to go. I don't know if they don't want you to get discouraged or not, but you're just like, my God, I've been walking all day. Like, is there going to be a top to this somewhere? And, and uh, even when we went to South Dakota, they picked different things to walk, and there's no signs. I'm like, are we going the right way? They said, I think so. I said, that's not a good answer for me. I want to know. We know where we're going, okay? And so we're walking and whatever, and we get to the top of, of this, they call it a knob. I don't know why they call it a knob, but whatever. They call it, and we sit at the top, and you can see for miles. And I turn around and I look and I look back off in the distance and I see our car and I thought, oh God, if that's our car over there and we're right here, that means I got to go from right here, my God, all the way back over there. I don't think I can make it that far. Let's just camp here for tonight. We'll start over again tomorrow. We don't have a sleeping bag. We'll pray for God to provide something, but let's just wait till in the morning. We got to get back over there. But it's amazing to me as the mountains, I get up and I can see. But Sister Allen, what happens is when they say, oh, we're going to go to the next knob. Where's the next knob? You see that mountain way over there? Yeah, that one. I'm like, how long is that going to take? Oh, it won't take too terribly long. Yeah, that's what y'all said in the last four and a half hours we've been walking. But you go start to make the incline of the mountain, and you still can see it, but the horizon starts getting lower and lower and lower. And eventually what happens is you get to a point that the mountain now is over, and you can't see how far the knob is, and you can't even see it anymore mountain in front of you so you just you can't see around the bend and sometimes that's life sometimes in life we have an aerial view and life looks good and then sometimes as we start making the descent because something tragic happens or something comes in our way all of a sudden our view gets distorted and we don't see the next mountain victory we don't see the next horizon we don't see it because we can't because there's something in front of us that's blocking us and we talked about that the Bible says that, that there are five, if you will, prayerful weapons that we can use against the enemy. And last week we talked about God's word. Pray the word of God. Jesus was a master at this. I mean, he used it against the devil. Every time Jesus prayed, I mean, he had, he had God's word backing him up. 
He was the Word made flesh. We know that. But he also knew how to pray the Word of God. He, he, we, the Bible tells us that. Weapon use is the prayer of praise. In fact, one of the contemporary Christian songwriters a couple years, uh, probably 15 years ago, I guess, or maybe longer, wrote a song. I think it was Casting Crowns, if I remember correctly. That said, I will praise you in the storm. I'll lift my hands in the middle of the circumstance. But I will, even, even when it's all going wrong, I will praise you in this storm. And they still play it and miss on the radio and things like that. It's not an antique type song compared to some of these other ones. But it was out there at one time, a new, a new song. And you know, I thought about that this week when I was looking over part two of this. That sometimes we pray all the prayers of need. God, I need, I want, I need, I want, I need, I want, I need, I want prayers. And sometimes we don't have to do that. We're wasting and expending spiritual oxygen and energy unnecessarily. Because the Bible says that even before I ask it, in fact, even before I think it, He knows my thoughts from afar off. He already knows what I have need of even before I say it. So sometimes the devil comes knocking on our door and he gives us this mountain that we've got to overcome and we stand there looking at it going I can't do that I can't I can't beat that mountain and we're over there praying oh God we need you to do this and you and sometimes I, that's understandable but sometimes God doesn't need us to tell him the problem he already had that figured out <laughs> we, he already knew what the problem was he wants to know do you believe he can take care of the problem we just saying it if I never had a problem I wouldn't know God could solve them because if I never had a problem, how do I know God's able? How would God ever be able to prove He's an almighty God if there's not something He can almightily move? I mean, there has to be something to make Him show that He's God. And so sometimes I think people pray these prayers, but sometimes God wants us to not say, God, I need you to give me this job. Sometimes He wants us to say, God, I thank you you're going to make a way. God, I thank you you're going to provide. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. God, I know right now it doesn't look like I have a job, but I just want to say, God, I thank you. You're going to provide for my family. Whether you drop manna from heaven and make birds fall, fly into my house and shut the door and I can kill them in the house. Whatever we got to do, God, you're going to provide. And Lord, you're going to, if it's a job you want me to get, you'll give me that job. You'll give me that promotion. But if it's not, you're going to have a better plan. And you're going to have something. But God, I'm going to praise you for a good job. God, I'm going to praise you for a good income. Not to be rich, but to be blessed. God, I'm going to praise you that my children are going to come to know you. They may not be saved yet. But God, I believe that your word says that if I train them up, when they grow old, they won't depart. God, I'm praising you. They're going to come to the fold. God, I know my spouse looks like they're not going to ever get saved. But God, I thank you that you're still a deliverer and a redeemer of time. And you are married to the backslider. So God, I thank you that you will save my spouse. Sometimes God wants us to pray prayers of praise. Not all of our problems. You know, I thought about that one time. I wonder if God ever gets tired of listening to problems. Now listen to what I'm saying carefully before you go, well, he's God. That's kind of what he gets paid to do. Not really gets paid to do that, but I wonder if sometimes God sits in heaven and thinks, you know, you told me what's all going wrong, and I already knew that. Why don't you tell me the things that are going right and what's going good? Why don't you tell me about the times I delivered you? Why don't you praise me for the times I did make a way for you? Why don't you praise me for the times that I did 
help you. Why don't you make, you know, help me pray, you know, prayers of praise for the times that I did rescue your family. Or I did save a lost loved one. Or I did provide that job. I wonder sometimes if God sits in heaven and thinks, you know, I would do a whole lot more. If we were more thankful for what he's already done. Now, I don't have the answer to that question. But I have thought about that many times. I wonder if God would bless us more abundantly if we thanked him more abundantly than we complained to him. I don't know about you, but being a, a husband and, and a father, you know, I always pick with Brianna all the time about, you know, her wanting something or whatever else. But if she comes in the house, every time I buy something for her, and she comes across with this attitude of like, well, you owed me that. I mean, that's expected or whatever and had this attitude, flipping attitude of, you know, well, it's, it's, you know, why should I say thank you? I mean, I, I, I should get that, you know, or whatever. After so long, Brother Mike, what's going to happen is that's going to deter my wanting to just go do random acts of kindness. Eventually, I'm going to be like, you know what, it ain't worth it. Not that I don't love her, but it ain't going to be worth it. I mean, if every time I bring flowers home or every time I bring her favorite meal home from Chick-fil-A or just randomly or every time I say, hey, let's get in the car and let's go get ice cream, if she just comes across like it doesn't really mean anything and it's like expectation, like that's what you should do all the time, after a while I'm going to think, you know what, then fine. I'm not doing this anymore. But you know what, when I, Brother James, come home from work and I'm tired and I'm just like, you know what, it's been a long day. I've been in the church till 7 o'clock that night. I've met people that week. It's been a long day. And I walk in the house and she's probably had a long day and I said you know what I don't really feel like cooking and she's like yeah me neither I'm like that's fine we can just make leftovers or whatever and I said you know what I'm tired let's go get ice cream because ice cream will make everything better in this moment let's go get ice cream you know I don't eat ice cream guys I know I know I mean you can look at me until I don't eat a lot of sweets uh, I'm sweet enough as it is I don't need any sweets as it is and so so I, I don't eat that but I know it means something to her and every time that I've done, not, I won't say every time, but any time that I have done that, when she gets excited, Brother Larry, about going to get ice cream, because she knows it's so out of the box for me to spend money on ice cream that I could have went and bought a whole container of it and owned ice cream than what I paid for one scoop of ice cream across the street in Cane Bay. She gets excited, and we sit down and we eat our ice cream, and she comes home, and whether we have Mike or not, but if we do, he goes to bed, and she comes in, and she says, Babe, I just want to let you know, I really, it was a rough day. I appreciate that you took me to get ice cream. I know that was a lie. I know you hate spending money. You squeeze a, a quarter so tight, two dimes and a nickel pop out. I mean, it just happens. You're, that's how tight you are with this money. And, and, but I think, and I just want you to know I appreciate that. You know what that does, Brother Larry? In my mind, it starts, I start thinking, when is the next time we're going to go get ice cream? Because I know she appreciated it. She valued it. I wonder if God would ever do more. Instead of always telling him what we needed and wanted, we just said thank you. Thank you, God. God, I, you know all my needs. You know my thoughts are far up. But your word says you'll supply all my needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. I don't have, I'm not saying you don't tell God, but, but even if you tell God, you can still follow it up with a prayer of praise. I tell people, I tell Brianna and I tell Mike and I tell people it's when I teach school all the time. Sometimes it's not so much what you say, it's how you say it. You can say the same thing. For an example, when a woman asks you, does this dress make me look fat? Think about that question before you answer that question. You, you say, well, if I tell her yes, if it's true she looks fat in that dress, I don't want to be a liar preacher because then I'm lying. So I can't say no, but if I say yes, I'm a dead man. Right. So I'm caught in a quandary here. 
I say, no, not really. You come up with a different topic. Does this dress make me look fat? You know, I always have liked this dress over here. The stripes just make you look very beautiful. See, I didn't say either way. You're fat or not. I just said, how about that dress? It just changed the conversation. That dress. And even if they persist, what about this dress? Well, that dress I'm sure is fine, but, but that dress is really a nice dress. See, I, I have not yet answered the question. Brianna says that, that I do that a lot. She says, you always deflect. And I'm like, because I like to live. You know? But sometimes you can, it's not about what you say to God, it's how you say it. If you go to God and say, why are you doing this to me? Versus, God, I just don't understand. I'm struggling here. Can't wrap my mind around it. I'm having a bad day. I, God, I need some answers. Versus, God, you owe me an answer for this. Which one do you think he's going to respond to a little bit better? You know, how would you respond if your spouse came in and talked to you like that? It wouldn't end well. For either one of you, probably. Sometimes you can say the request. You say, well, Pastor, the Bible says I'm supposed to let my prayers, I'm supposed to let my petitions be known to God. Well, why don't you make them known to God and follow it up with the promise of God? You can pray a, 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 a have a petition and then a promise. Say, God, my husband or my wife, they're not living right. And I want you to save them. But God, I know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. God, they're not saved right now. But I know you can restore them to right relationship. I still told God what I wanted. But I also thank God that I know he can do it too. It's all about how you say it. Prayers of praise. It's all throughout the Bible. For time's sake, we're not, I'm not going to unearth every one of these prayers of praise. The psalmist teaches all throughout the psalms, he teaches about the let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Great is the faithfulness of the Lord. You know, uh, the loving kindness of the Lord endures forever. I mean, there's all kinds of psalms of praise in the Bible. That's why the book of Psalms, the largest book of the Bible is a hymn book of psalms. And psalms and spiritual songs to sing unto the Lord. You know, and we some of these we that we sing even here at the church and other church things are right out of the I mean direct quotes from the from the psalmist themselves and and there are direct correlations to that. I read to you Psalms 30 and 11 and 12. But something happens and shifts in the atmosphere when we go from problems and petitions to promises and praise. Something happens when I go from my petitions and my problems and somehow shift into a mindset of promises and praise. The atmosphere shifts. I'm going to show you an example. In the book of Acts, two men are faced with a problem. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have been told, basically put up and shut up, put your Bible away, quit telling everybody about Jesus, go home and mind your business. Religious leaders ain't having it. We ain't playing with y'all. Get out of here. We're done with you. And they said, okay. And they walk out, grab their Bible out their car, and go right back to doing the same thing in the town next over. Well, they got tired of that. So they get to an area called Caesarea Philippi. And these two individuals get arrested for proclaiming Jesus Christ. And they said, look, we've been, we warned you. We told you to keep your mouth shut. We told you to mind your business. And you didn't listen. So this time... We're going to make you shut up. And so they beat them with whips and bars and 
Then they throw him in a deep, dark dungeon cell in Caesarea Philippi to rot. And said, you know, you'll have to go before the, 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 you know, the courts tomorrow or the days after. And we'll decide, but for now, for a couple nights, you're going to be with your back exposed. You're going to have wounds from being whipped. You're gonna, and we're going to put you in a molded, infested, dark dungeon, damp, musky-smelling dungeon with rats and all the other criminals with all kinds of bacteria and things like that that can get in the orifice of your skin. And whatever happens to you, so what? You'll learn one way or the other. And they chain them. To the back of a stone wall. And the Bible says they had shackles and fetters. Meaning they had both on their hands and on their feet. They're literally leaned up against the wall. Hands like this. And feet barred like this. Now in that day. They did not chain you with your hands down. Because if you leave your hands down by your side. Your arm never gets tired. That's not torture. I mean you just sit like this. You can sit like this all day long. I mean you Sit right there, have your things, just leave your hands in your lap. Yeah, that, that's just like sitting in a chair. So they chain them like this because you're chained. So you can only come down so far. But if you hold your hands up this long for a while, guess what starts to happen to your arms? Tired. Then they start burning. And they say, but I can't move them because I'm chained. So I'm just sagging, but boy, it's hurting. My back starts feeling it. My neck starts feeling it. I can't move because I'm stuck. But my hands are in a vertical, if you will, a, a vertical positioning. They're up. And I'm chained to a wall. They're up. These two men in this dungeon with their chained hands up start carrying on a conversation about the goodness of the Lord. If you don't know who these two men are, I would like to introduce you to the Apostle Paul and his companion by the name of Silas. They're sitting in this jail. Silas and Paul start having a conversation about how good God is. Now, I don't know if they talked about the time Paul got kicked out of the city and got killed and was resurrected, or if they were talking about when Paul had the Damascus Road experience. I don't know if Silas, I don't know what the conversation was, except that I know that somewhere between about 7 or 8 o'clock at night when they got beaten almost nearly to death and chained, for about four hours, they are doing nothing but just talking about how good God is. But for four hours, their hands are in an upright position. And I'm sure to help take their mind off the burning sensation of their flesh rotting in this jail, Paul said, hey, Sal, you remember, you remember that time we were at such and such church? You remember when we were in Ephesus? We went to church that Sunday. You remember when they started singing this song and he broke out singing? And Silas said, yeah, but Paul, remember when we were in Corinth? Remember, you remember they were all losing their minds. They were all, they had all kinds of messed up doctrines and teachings. And they were trying to say some follow Apollos and some follow this one and that. And you had to straighten them out. And some were talking about they were the house of, of Chloe. And they were just messing us all up and confused about everything. You remember how we sang that song and it just calmed the mood of the service? Yeah. Paul looked back at him and said, hey. You remember that time we were at Thessalonica, man? They were threatening us. But remember how we started singing, Oh, magnify the Lord, for He's worthy to be praised. Yeah, Paul, you remember we went to Athens. They thought we were gods. And we said, No, 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 no. We're not God. But let me, let me tell you about the one true God. And we started singing, I will bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. And they started singing. But don't miss something. They can't move. They're still in a problem. They're still in a predicament. They still got some issues. They could have easily said, oh God, why am I in these chains? 
God, why am I left down here in the dungeon to die? Why am I right to God? Where are you? As if God didn't know they were in the dungeon. They could have done that, but that's not what they did. The, the problem didn't change. They're still chained. They're still bolted down. They're stuck. Where are you going to go in a dungeon? You're stuck. It don't matter how many rats run across. You can't do nothing about it. You're stuck. The problem still was presenting itself. But instead of focusing on the problem, they turned their attention to the promises of God. The stuff they had been preaching. The stuff they had been teaching. You know, I can imagine Paul telling Silas, look, we've preached this thing and I believe in this thing. I know what I saw in that Damascus. I don't care what they do to us tomorrow at the tribunal court. I'm telling you, I saw that man on that Damascus road and they're not going to convince me otherwise. I know who Jesus is. I know him. And they start singing. And then something happens. I told you that problems, when we start focusing less on the problems and the predicaments that we're in and focus on the promises and the praise of God, the atmosphere in the room changes. Their hands are lifted. Their problem's still presenting itself. And they're singing. I'm sure about, about 1130, all the other prisoners in there are like, well, y'all shut up. Y'all been talking for like the last four hours. Y'all won't keep your mouth shut. Lord, y'all are worse than most people that we've ever come in contact with. Do y'all ever take a break? And they're like, no, sorry about that, buddy. God's been too good to us. I can't shut up now because his word is like a fire shut up in my bones. And I scarce have room to contain it. And they kept talking about it. And everybody else in there was like, good, for the love of the Lord, just take a nap. Go to sleep. It's 1145 at night. It's, I mean, just go to bed. I mean, we, we're stuck down here. We're already miserable. And you two loony bins are making it worse. I'd rather be chained in silence than have to listen to you two loony burns talking all night. But at 12 o'clock, the Bible said midnight, they're still talking. But all of a sudden, there's a shaking happens in the jail cell. A light comes beaming through the window. And then walks an angel of the Lord. And all of a sudden, all those same people that were looking at Paul and Silas being like, well, you two shut up. They were like, you two are geniuses. How quickly that changed. Because everybody's door opened. You ever went, you ever thought about this? If, I mean, you think about this. If we walk to a, a, a level five security prison and we just let all the doors open, how many of the inmates are just going to sit there and go, you know what, we'll just stay here and wait. We're going to wait for them to get this, this glitch fixed. We'll wait. We're just gonna, we don't want to run. So we'll just sit here, let the guards work out the security details, and we'll just wait until they get it fixed. Are you dumb? Them jokers would be trucking people to get out of that prison. These men's doors open up. Their front chains fall off. And they're all stunned. They're like, what do we do? And Paul said, nothing. Stay here. Don't you run. Paul, are you nuts? We thought you were nuts earlier. You're even dumber now than we thought you were. He said, no, just wait. Their problem still, they had a dungeon. They still were chained. Hands in a vertical position. They sang songs. God opens the doors. But you notice that even though Paul and Silas, according to Scripture, were the only two people actually praising the Lord in the moment, how their praise penetrated and infiltrated that dungeon, and the atmosphere changed for everybody that was in proximity of them. Nobody else. The Bible doesn't say the rest of the inmates praised the Lord. It said Paul and Silas were singing and worshiping the Lord, but because of their of their focus, not on the predicament and problem, but on the promises and praises of God. In that moment, their prayer of praise not only affected them, but the atmosphere of the entire jail changed like that. 
affected everybody around. That's why you don't understand the value and power of your own praise. You say, well, Pastor, you know, I don't know why I should lift my hands. I don't know why y'all clap. I don't know why. Because somebody might need to hear somebody else clap in the middle of the storm. Somebody might need to see someone's hands lifted up in the middle of trial. Because you may, they may not be able to worship their way out of anything because they feel like they can't get out. But by seeing you, it will encourage them and the atmosphere in the room will change. And your praise can set a tonality throughout the building and the atmospheric pressure in the room can change and change everybody's life just because you praise the Lord. Just as much as one person can hinder the moving of the presence of God, one person can also change the atmosphere of God's presence in the room in a positive manner. Paul said, stay put. Jailer hears all the ruckus. He comes running down. He sees the doors are open. And he thinks like any normal person would think, oh my God, I've lost all the prisoners. When they find out about this, I'm a dead man. Bible said he drew his sword because he said, I'd rather die on my own terms than let them kill me because I know what they do to torture people. I'll just take myself out. Right before he decided to make that fatal blow, he, he heard a voice faint in the darkness say, Stop! Don't do it. He said, Who was that? Paul comes out of the shadows and says, Don't put it, don't do it. He said, They're going to kill me. Paul said, None of us have escaped. We're all here. He said, What do you mean you're all here? He said, We didn't leave. We're here. Sometimes God's not going to let you leave the problem. He's just going to help you get through the problem. God doesn't say, well, let me just get you out of the problem and don't ever come to it. Sometimes God makes you stay in the problem. But he doesn't leave you in the problem alone. Because Paul and them still were in jail. <laughs> but God was there because they're no longer in bounds. They're no longer in chains. And the doors are They're still at jail. They don't know what this guy could immediately throw him back in jail, shut the doors, and say, y'all are stupid, you dummies, and lock him back in. But Paul, it didn't matter to Paul. Paul was there on an assignment because he knew that it didn't matter what they did to him, they never could take his praise that he had for his love for God. One songwriter put it this way years ago, a couple years ago from the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. said, I've never lost my hope. I've never lost my joy. I've never lost my faith. But most of all, I've never lost my praise. The devil can take a lot of things. He can take your income, take your job, maybe even take your family. But if he takes your praise, the only way he took it is you gave it to him. He didn't take it. You handed it to him and said, you can have it. He might take something from you. And we sing, I went to the enemy's camp, took back. He might take a lot of stuff. But if he takes your worship and your praise, it's not because he did it. You said, here you go. You gave it to the man. The only way he can ever take somebody of their joy or their, or their worship and their praise and adoration to God is if I say you can have it. He can't take that from you. He might can take a lot, but he cannot take it. Oh, Michael Combs, the worst singer of all time, that man, I don't know how he made a living. That man's voice is, he's got a special talent to sound bad but get paid. It's amazing how that works. But I'm going to tell you what, some of his songs, though they seem kind of weird, but if you ever heard his testimony and what God has brought him through, it's incredible. And one of his songs says this, they can take my right to pray, they can throw us all in jail, they can take my precious Bible, they can shred and tear the pages all apart, they can lock me up in prison, throw away the key, he said, but there's one thing they can never do. Never take Jesus out of my heart. 
You can trash my Bible. You can lock me up in prison. You can destroy everything. But you can't take Jesus out of the jail cell with me. No matter where you put me, he goes where I go because he lives inside of me. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives. How You ask me how I know he lives. He lives inside my heart. They can put me anywhere they want to, but he goes where I go. They can't take him out of my heart. The Apostle Paul in that moment, still in that problem. Ms. Carol, as you come. The Apostle Paul, while he's still in that moment, it's a beautiful picture. He tells the man, don't kill himself. All of them are still there. And God gives Paul the opportunity to preach probably the best sermon he'll ever have the opportunity to preach. I mean, you got a captive audience in prison. Where are they going to go? It's different than church. Church people, they don't like your sermon. They don't have to come back. Prison, you don't get out, so you have to keep coming back. There's no choice. Where are they going to go? It ain't like they can walk away. They're in prison. <laughs> not much ways to go. It's not like you can be like, I'm going to get my keys in my car and drive off. I mean, that's a good audience. You can't really go anywhere there. Paul gets a platform. You know why these chains fell off? You know why the fetters fell? You know why these bars, iron clasped bars opened up? It wasn't me. I'm nothing special. There's a guy by the name of Jesus Christ that I met a few years ago on a Damascus road when I was coming to do what you do. I was coming to take all Christian people and put them in jail like you are. But I met a man that they called Jesus. I'm going to tell you, I can't explain it to you, but that man changed my life. I was blind for three days and I met a man. He came by and he touched my eyes and I could see again. I've got this you will, this thorn in my flesh, some kind of most theologians and scholars believe Paul had some kind of physical disability whether it had to do with his eyes or something for that thorn in the flesh he never could get rid of he said I, I've, I've battled some things I've been, I've been beaten I've been in prison as you can see I've been stoned, I've been, you name it I seen a man one time, I preached so long, the man fell out the window broke his neck, he died I didn't think the sermon was over yet. I still had some things I needed to say. So we stopped for a second, went out there, prayed for him, resurrected him, brought him back in so I could finish my sermon. And I dared him to leave when I did it. That's brassy. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty brassy for the preacher to be like, I'm not done talking to you. Sit down. I'll get back to you in a minute. I said, but I did that. He said to all these prisoners watching, to this Philippian jailer, he said, look, I, I know y'all don't, Y'all may not have known me in my previous life. Maybe you did. I don't know. But I've done some stuff. But I'm telling you, the only reason I'm standing here before you today, right here in front of this jail, with the doors behind me and the the fetters still hanging on the wall, is because years ago, I wasn't in a physical prison, but spiritually I was chained to my past of sin. I was locked into the dungeon of self. I was, I was barred by all of the sinful lusts and desires of the flesh. And Satan had me incarcerated to my own self and my own selfish desires. And I was a deadbeat, broken man. But when I met Jesus, he walked in spiritually and he unlocked a door that nobody else. He took the keys and he unlocked the door. And he walked up to those shackles of sin, those fetters of fear those bars of my life being in shambles and he opened every one of them and said now you follow me and I'll make a difference in your life and I have followed that man so Mr. Jailer we're all here you can put us back in prison if you want you do what you feel is best but you can never take God out of my heart you can never you can never take God away 
about that time, Brother Mike, the Bible, I don't, doesn't give us an inclination if it happened exactly like this, but, but I believe about that time, the more Paul talked, the more the anointing fell in that room. I don't believe Paul went up there and took his King James, Jimmy Swagger, Schofield Bible and beat the living snot out of the jailer. I don't believe he did that. We just told him what he knew about God from a personal experience. Paul still had a problem, but he knew that God had to be praised. Tears began to well up in the side of this big old burly jailer's eyes. And the more Paul talked, the more they fell. And the more he listened, it was like Sister Ann, there was something in the room the Philippian jailer couldn't explain because the movement of Paul's words was doing something to him. Just like that old King Agrippa that said, man, you, Paul, you're so good, you almost got me persuaded to be a Christian at this point. I can't quite do it, but man, you're good. And he said, Paul, how do I meet this man called Jesus? Paul explains it. The jailer gets saved and says, don't go nowhere. If you run, I will kill you this time. Don't you run. He goes back to the house, gets his family. Remember what the mission was, vision was, 2022 and 2023. One person, one family, one community. After Paul gets the Philippian jailer, he goes and gets his family and says, y'all got to hear this dude. This dude's legit. Brings his whole family. And the Bible says that after the jailer got saved, his whole household, the whole family got saved. One person, one family. Got saved. The Bible said, they said, what do we do now? Paul said, you should be baptized. He said, well, who does that? Paul says, well, the preacher typically does it. And he says, you know anybody? Paul says, yeah, I happen to know a guy. I've done that before. You beat the living daylights out of me yesterday. But yeah, I can baptize you. The Bible says they baptized the family. The Bible says that you, this is how you know God. When God saves somebody, he changes their life. When they got done being baptized, the jailer instructed his wife to go get the prisoners and to nurse the wounds. Give them a good bath, draw them some water, put some salve and ointments on it, bandages them, and basically say, we're going to help you get back to better. And eventually they got out of jail. Got to go back to their merry way. But Brother Larry, I do believe that even the day Paul left that jail, that one, fam that one person, the jailer, that one family, but I believe that jailer could not, he told everybody of that night. I mean, how would you not? I mean, you think about it. If you had seen this, you had seen jail cells open and prisoners not run away, you know that's going to be the topic of conversation the next time you go meet your friends. Y'all ain't going to believe what happened last night at the jailhouse. He told everybody he knew. Here's what I want you to understand. It all started in the middle of a problem. I'm in a problem. I'm in a predicament. I'm in a pretty bad situation. But I serve a powerful God who is worthy of praise. I can believe the Apostle Paul probably, when he got done and all this was said and done, out in the middle of his problem, and after he praised his way right out of that jail cell, this is a song that I think he probably sang. Sang to everybody there. He looked at the jailer, he looked at his family he probably sang this tagline, I know Israel Houghton was the one that wrote it and he got all the credit for it, but I mean let's be real, he just borrowed it from Paul I believe he said this let the redeemed of the Lord say so let the redeemed of the Lord say so, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, say so, say so let the redeemed of the Lord rise up let the redeemed of the Lord rise up let the redeemed of the Lord rise up rise up, I believe that 
Apostle Paul said, you know what? Let the redeemed of the Lord now say so. So here's my, if you will, challenge to you or impartation as we get ready to close. Problems come to everybody. Problems are no respecter of persons. Problems don't just come to Brother Larry and skip Brother Marion. Now, it might seem that way sometimes. We see somebody else going through, we're going through something and somebody else doesn't seem to be. But don't, you just wait. In the fullness of time, you'll get out of your problem. They'll be in a problem. I mean, it happens all over. We all got problems. It happens. But it's what you do with the problem that makes the difference. God's not always going to take you out of the problem. But the Bible said he promised to never leave you in the problem alone. The Hebrew boys didn't get, a, didn't get to get out completely of going through the fiery furnace. They had to go in it. Yes, they came out of it. God brought them through it. But they still got thrown in. He didn't take them completely out of it. He just went with The Bible says there was a fourth man in the fire. He just went in with them. Sometimes we don't get away from the problem. But we're not alone in the problem. The reality of it is this. God brought you to it. He'll see you through it. If he brought you to it, he's not going to be like, good luck, hope you survive. He'll see you through it. The best way to ever combat the second powerful weapon, prayerful weapon you can use against the enemy. After you pray the word of God, the next best weapon to use in your arsenal against your a demonic or, or enemy's attack on your life or your family is you praise God for what you already know you can do because you might not you might as pastor you understand I'm still in a problem yeah so God knows that and everybody around you knows that you don't got to tell everybody but what do you do with the problem use that as a mean or a mechanism or if you will a stepping stone to say okay God here I am you know where I'm at and I've seen you heal cancer I've seen you put marriages together. I've seen you redeem the time. I've seen you grow churches. I've seen you heal sick bodies. I've seen you provide financial miracles. I've seen you open job up, opportunities up. I've seen you provide new houses and cars. I've seen you do this, that, and the other. God, I've seen it, and I just know you're still able to do it. Even if I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you can do it. And you will be surprised how much more God will do when we praise Him than we just complain about the problems he's put us in in that moment. Let's pray together. Father, to the very best of my ability, I have tried to share your word to your people today. God, I will be the first to say that there are, very, there are a lot of men and women that are more eloquent of speakers than I'll ever be, and I know that. There's a lot folks that probably could have conveyed the word of God whether more simplistic or Lord even in more depth than was presented today but Father for such a time as this you have called me in this sacredness and solemnness in this moment I stand behind this sacred lectern and to declare and decree your words today to these people Father I pray today that whether it was this morning or this evening we can truly leave this place today knowing we've been in the presence of the almighty God and that God has been in our midst this week Father you know the needs we have already shared those with you 
know the needs that have been spoken, those that are unspoken, and those that may not even have come on the horizon yet, but they're on the way. God, in this moment, let us just take about 10 seconds and just say, we thank you, we glorify the name of the Lord, and we know God is still a miracle worker, a way maker, a promise keeper. God, you're still able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we can think or comprehend because you are God and there is none like you in all the world. God, as we get ready to disembark from this location here in just a moment, let us leave this place with praise on our lips and a song in our hearts. Lord, may you bless us and keep us and your face shine upon us and be gracious to us and lift your countenance towards us and give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts again. Let the words of our mouths and meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, our blessed strength and redeemer. Together the people of God said amen. Amen. Before I have Brother Randy pray our benedictory prayer, let me just remind you Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Midweek Bible study will be back in the fellowship hall again. Uh, we'll continue our, our series on the book of James, going line by line and verse by verse. We'll be in part two of how to tame your tongue. Boy, that's a good one for the day and hour we're living in, isn't it? But we're going to be studying that and what the how powerful the tongue can be and what it should be used for. For all that has been here today, let me say thank you so much. I do want to share one quick thing from you. I know we had a lot of visitors today uh, due to... Uh, special guests and various things today. We had some that were out. And I know that you can't every week, you know, go by how many visitors are here or things like that. You know, I asked you, I made a challenge to you, invite somebody to church. Most of you did or you tried. Some of them came. Brother Randy and Sister Carol had a, one of the waitresses that wait on us each week at Little Pappy's came this morning and was here. So right here from Little Pappy's was here with us today. Uh, and she uh, was here and was very complimentary of her welcome and service day, but uh, I'm a big believer that, yeah, you can have long-term goals and you can have big wins, you know, like build a sanctuary one day, that's great, you know, that ain't happening tomorrow, so it takes a while to get the ground, the plots, the, you know, the plans and all, that takes time. And I shared with you last week, one of the small wins, we're debt-free again, uh, we were always for debt-free, but paid off what we borrowed against ourselves for the cameras and new stuff's coming in that people are donating. We ain't even worried about They are like, we're just going to do it for you. You ain't got to pay for it. And they're going to do other things and upgrades for us that we're not even a part of that. But I want to tell you another small win today. And don't forget, next Sunday we're going to share with you the financial report. I sat over and looked at that financial report today, and I called Miss Carol in my office because I, I thought thought she made an error. I thought, you missed, you added your numbers wrong. I was floored with what I discovered. We'll share that next week. But I want to tell you a win for me today. You know, I do believe there's going to come a day where there's going to be something in the front of that yard. I don't know when it's coming. I can't tell you who it's going to win, how many years down the road. And I, I can't even really tell you all the, the, the formations of how it's going to come about. But I do believe that we're not sitting this far off the road without God putting something closer up to the road. It takes people, and I know we had a lot of guests today, but in your house of worship today, through the, your efforts of inviting people, things like that, we had over, I think it was 10 or 12, I believe, children in children's church today. That's not your workers, that's your kids. But when you totaled up everybody that's here today, 
80 people were on this campus this morning to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 80 people. 80 people. So invite somebody else this week. See if we can beat 80. <laughs> Let's keep inviting. We want to find them. We want to invest in them. Before Brother Randy comes or to pray, I want to tell you this, how proud I am to be able to go to a church that not only financially is a miracle in what God does, but that knows how to be community-minded and help one another. Now, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but you know what? When do I ever care about that? But, Brother Larry, this morning, I got a text message on my phone about 9.45 from someone who goes to our church, Brother Jeff Davis, who sits in the back back here and he works at Walmart. He texted said, Pastor, I was going to come to church today, but I went outside to crank my car I just hear click, 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 click. It won't jump. I put it on a battery and a charger. It ain't even budging. I wanted to come to church so bad, but I can't make it. So, well, Jeff, where do you live? He said, Pastor, I live 1.2 miles from your church. He said, that's a little bit of a walk. It's kind of hot outside. He said, but I'll watch online. But I just wanted you to know why I wasn't here. I went to my Sunday school class and I sat down for about 30 seconds and I said, oh, that ain't going to work for me. That's not happening today. So I pulled Brother Larry out and I said, look, I got a Sunday school class. You got a choice. You can teach teenagers or you can go jump Jeff's car. Your choice. Well, he chose the jumping of the car. He didn't give me an option. He took the he, he gave me the kids and took the car. Um, he got in his car. He went and jumped Jeff off. Now, Jeff could have been like, thank you, going to Walmart, buying a battery and forgetting and I came out of Sunday school and I rounded the corner. I came in here to make sure that everything was ready for this morning. Sitting in that far back corner there sat Jeff this morning. He left church today. He had a little tear inside his eyes. And he said, I just want you to know I can't thank you enough for sending somebody to jump my car. You see, it's not a big gesture. It was a pair of jumper cables and a car that worked. <laughs> but in that moment, in a 10-minute maybe, I don't even know it was 10, 10-minute window, well, there wasn't going long. 10, 15 minute window our church got to be the hands and feet of Jesus extended and tell somebody in the community it's so much bigger than our four walls padded pews and three piece suits we'll jump your car off if we got to for you to hear about Jesus and you should be proud that our church is a church that still has a vision and a, and a focus to see lost people and to see people in the community come to see Jesus and to hear about Jesus we're going to share the financial miracles uh, uh, that God did next week. But I just want to, that was a win for me today to hear that story and hear that how God let us be His hands and feet live today. It's such a problem. I love you. I can't wait to see you on Wednesday night. God bless you. And Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise your holy name for the word you've given us. Lord, we thank you for everything you've done for us. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory.